Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the sixth chapter of the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And we're actually going to be looking at the entire chapter. We'll be concluding tonight around 3 a.m. in the morning. I will be giving you a bathroom break and a snack break. <laughs> we are going to go through the whole chapter, though, so you'll have to listen fast, because I'll be speaking fast. But tonight we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled, Jesus According to Jesus. I can't think of anyone better to describe Jesus than Jesus himself. And tonight, the bread of life. Jesus describes himself in John chapter 6 as the bread of life. John 6, verse 48. Just one verse for our scripture reading, although again, we'll be looking at the entire chapter. And Jesus says to those that were gathered before him on that day, and he says to us who are gathered here tonight, I am... Pay attention to that. Whenever you see that phrase, I am, it has a deep meaning. I am that bread of life. Thirty days ago was Super Bowl Sunday. Do you know that Super Bowl Sunday is the second biggest eating day of the calendar year? It is second only to Thanksgiving. According to those who keep statistics, those who keep the records of such things, on Super Bowl Sunday, 30 days ago, 1.2 billion chicken wings were eaten. Not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, not millions, not hundreds of millions. 1.2 billion chicken wings with various sauces were consumed by Americans. 12.5 million pounds of bacon were eaten on Super Bowl Sunday. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips were took in. The average person, if you averaged it all out, the average person in America on Super Bowl Sunday consumed 6,000 calories on that day. Now you say, well, I only did 1,000. Well, somebody else got your other 5,000. <laughs> and we can look around the house and probably figure out who it was. <laughs> Now, we all know the Patriots won the Super Bowl. But I'd like to suggest to you, they really weren't the big winners of Super Bowl Sunday. The big winners of Super Bowl Sunday were Rolades and Pepto-Bismol and X-Lax. They saw their sales skyrocket by 20% on Super Bowl after Monday. So you would think with all of this ingesting and digesting that people would be full. But they're not. Why? Because earthly food cannot fill an eternal soul. 
We weren't made for this world. We're made for that world. Not everybody's going to that world they were made for. But God didn't intend for us to be here long. This is just a short time. We're just pilgrims passing through. Our home should be in heaven where we'll be forever. So earthly food can no way fill an eternal soul. Chicken and bacon and chips might fill our stomachs, but our souls remain hungry. To those who were spiritually hungry in Jesus' day, to those who are spiritually hungry in our day, Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, I am, I am the bread of life. I want you to focus on that front end of that term, I am. I am is not only a declaration that he can satisfy a hungry soul. I am the bread of life. But more than anything else, it's a declaration of the fact that he is God. Every time Jesus said, I am, to those in that day that he stood before, the Jewish people that he spoke to, they understood the implication of that statement. They understood what he was saying was, I am God. I am God. I am God. I am the bread of life. You see, I am was how God identified himself. When Moses was told to go to Pharaoh, Moses said, Lord, how, how will Pharaoh believe me? Who am I to say sent me with this message? And God said to him, you tell him I am that I am. Send you. And Jesus, in understanding that, constantly said when he spoke of himself, I am God, and I am the bread of life. Now, I'd like to share with you, before we go into John chapter 6, some background on bread from Jesus' day. Because Jesus used bread, the Bible uses bread in many ways to talk about our relationship to Jesus. First thing I want you to understand about bread and how it relates to Jesus is that bread was the entree in Jesus' day when a meal was served. Bread was the entree in Jesus' day when a meal was served. It wasn't the side dish as it is today. It was the main course. It was the most important part of the meal. You put the bread in the center of the table. You cut the bread like you'd cut a turkey. And you built around the bread with the meat and the vegetables and the fruits. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, what he's saying directly or indirectly is, I'm the most important thing there is. I'm the entree of life. I'm not some sideshow. I'm of the highest priority. I'm of the highest importance. And I want you to know that bread in Jesus' day was accessible to all. Everybody in Jesus' day had access to bread. Now the poor, they would eat bread that was made of the cheapest grain called barley. But they had access to bread. The wealthy would eat bread made of wheat. 
Wheat is a very expensive grain in Jesus' day. So you can see, even though you might have eaten barley bread or wheat bread, you did have bread. Everybody in Jesus' day had access to bread. What does this say about Jesus? Jesus made himself accessible to everybody. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor or anybody in between. Jesus had time for you. He wanted a relationship with you. He was accessible to you. That's why the Bible uses the term whosoever. Whosoever wants Jesus can have Jesus. Thirdly, bread in the Bible of Jesus' day, bread in the society of Jesus' day, bread was a sign of fellowship. You heard the phrase, breaking bread together? That came from Jesus' day. It spoke of how people who had a relationship with one another, a friendship, if you will, how they would come together and they would eat bread together, which was symbolic of the relationship they have, that they were friends. Of course, that tells us that Jesus wants to have a relationship with us, not only as our Creator, not only as our Savior, not only as our Lord, not only as our God, as we talked about this morning, but He wants to have a relationship with us as a friend. He, he, the Bible says He's a friend who will stick closer to you than a brother. And of course, we're all familiar with the old gospel song, What a Friend, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then fourthly, bread was a Jewish symbol of God's presence. Bread was significance because it was a symbol of the presence of God. Do you know that in the temple and in the tabernacle before the temple, do you know they always filled the vessels with showbread? They were constantly filled with fresh bread. Showbread, that's what they called it. And you know what that showbread was symbolic of? God is in the house. Do you think it was just accidental or coincidental that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? I'm oh, sure the prophet Micah predicted that. But do you know why Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Bethlehem was called the house of bread, the bread of life was born in the house of bread. And what, did, what does bread say? God is here. God is here in the tabernacle. God is here in the temple with the showbread. And God is here in Bethlehem in the person of Jesus Christ. He's in our midst, is he not? That's what it says. He's in our midst. I praise in our midst tonight. More importantly, I praise in your midst in your heart. Then I want you to see one other thing about this bread. It was never to be stepped on. In Jesus' day, bread was never to be trampled underfoot because it was associated with something that was sacred. When bread was dropped on the ground, it was always picked up. It was never left on the ground. And it was placed on a ledge, or it was placed on a container, 
or was placed in a branch of a tree. It was never placed on the ground. If it fell, it was picked up. It was always kept high. You know what that's saying? Jesus should never be treated irreverently by us. He should never be trampled under our feet. He should always be held up high and honorably and holy. Some interesting things about bread. Because when Jesus was talking to those people of that day and he said, I'm the bread of life, they understood all of those implications he was making. Now let's go to John chapter 6. And by the way, all of that was free. I'm not going to charge you for that. That's just extra. But let's go to our text. And certainly we're not going to read all these verses. 71 verses would exhaust me and exhaust you. So I'll make reference to the verses and you can kind of follow with your eyes as we begin. John chapter 6 verse 1. And in the first 14 verses of John chapter 6, we see the story of Jesus. We see the story of the disciples and how after they had addressed, how they had preached, how they had taught the multitudes. The multitudes didn't have anything to eat. And so they decided that they needed to feed them before they let them go. There was no McDonald's for them to go to. And even if there would have been a Golden Arches, some of those people didn't have any money. So Jesus took care of that meal. We all know the story very well, how he took a few fish and a few loaves, held it up to the Father, and the Father blessed it. And what was meant to feed three or four people, maybe at the most, fed perhaps up to 15,000 men and women that day. And there was an overflow when it was all done. So that's how the John chapter 6 begins, Jesus feeding the masses. And then in verse 26, we find that the people come to him again. In verse 26 of John 6, the people come to him again. And you know what they want from him? Another meal. Jesus, you fed us a late night dinner last night. Could you give us a breakfast buffet this morning? They, they're coming back for another meal. In fact, Jesus says in verse 26, Verily, verily, I say to you, you seek me. You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus says, you're just coming back to me because you want another meal. You missed the whole point of what I did. Then in verse 27, he reminds the people that they're supposed to focus on eternal things, not just on earthly needs. You see, the people, all they wanted was their earthly needs met, and Jesus is trying to redirect their vision, redirect their thoughts, redirect their feelings to their eternal matters. Well, is it successful? <laughs> Notice in verse 31, the people challenge Jesus. 
Challenge him to feed them like God fed the Israelites in the desert. Verse 31, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. For 40 years, they eat three meals a day, Jesus. For 40 years, they eat three meals a day. Three million of them. God served them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why don't you do that for us? That's what they're saying. Our fathers did eat of this bread in the desert. Why don't you do for us what God did for the Israelites? (laughs) Verse 32. Jesus again reminds them that the God who sent the manna down from heaven to meet their physical needs is the same God that sent him down from heaven to meet the spiritual needs. Now in verse 41 and following, if you're looking at John chapter 6, the people seem to start getting getting it. I mean, they really start to seem to understand what he's trying to say to them. Physical food's important, but, but spiritual food's more important. What you put in your stomach's important, but what you put in your soul is more important. This life is important, but the life to come is far more important. And God wants to meet both needs, not just one or the other. He wants to do both. That's why he gives us the manna, but he also gave his son. But you know what? They revert back to their old ways very quickly. And they continue to want more earthly bread. And they begin to grumble about the spiritual bread. Notice it says in verse 41 of John 6, the Jews then began to what? Murmur. Murmur is just a fancy word for gripe, complain, bellyache, moan, groan, Complain. You ever met people who do that? I hope you're not one of them. They just started complaining among themselves. At first they seemed to get it, and then they seemed to forgot it. Their minds shifted from the things of above to the things below again. And they start grumbling about Jesus started grumbling about what he does or what he doesn't do. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. What does that say about when we grumble? It runs God off. God does not want to be with an ungrateful people or an ungrateful church. If you don't do anything else, thank him every day for what he's given you. If you don't have anything to thank him for, thank him that you're alive enough to be able to pray. Because your, your fact that you have life is a gift from God. Then notice in verses 48 through 51, Jesus tries to steer them back to him again. He reminds them that he's the bread of life. 
He reminds them that if you eat of Him, you will not die, you'll live forever. Did the people get it? <laughs> no. They're not too smart of a people. I think they were cousins to us. Because sometimes we're not very smart either. Notice it says in verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves. That word strove is another fancy word for began to argue and fight among themselves. They're in uproar. They want physical bread. Jesus is offering spiritual bread. They want their stomach filled. Jesus wants to fill their soul. They want to think about earthly things. Jesus is trying to get them to think about heavenly things. They just don't get it. Or maybe they just don't want to get it. Maybe that's the better way of saying it. That brings us to verse 60. And it says, Many therefore of his disciples... Now this word disciples doesn't mean they were saved people. Disciples can mean just a follower of somebody, a student of somebody. These students, these followers of Jesus, when they heard all of what he had to say, particularly, I am the bread of life and I have come to feed you spiritual food, not physical food. I've come to give you something that will fill your soul, not something that will fill your belly. I've come to give you peace and joy and hope, not bacon and eggs. When he says that, and they finally get it, verse 60 says, they talked among themselves and said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can accept it? Then Jesus knew in himself that his disciples were murmuring again at him. And he asked him a question, does this offend you? Does this offend you? There are some of you in verse 64 that believe not. In verse 66, notice what it says. From that time, many of his disciples went back. You know what that means? They turned their back on him and walked no more with him again. Jesus has been talking about he's the bread of life. They think about it. They talk about it. They decide they don't want the bread of life. They don't want him. Understand they knew who he was. They understood what he was talking about. It just wasn't something they wanted. They needed it, but they didn't want it. You know, they're no different than people today. We want Jesus to be who we want Him to be. We want a Santa Claus Messiah. That's what we want. A Messiah that just comes and brings us presents. Drops them off at our door and goes away. He doesn't bother us. He doesn't burden us. He doesn't bug us. He just brings us presents. That's what people want, a Santa Claus Jesus. 
Others want a bellhop Jesus. You know, when you go to a, a pricey motel or hotel, you, they often have a bellhop. And they ring the little bell. And the bellhop comes running. What can I do for you? Can I? They just they serve you. And if you're happy with the service, you give them a little tip. You see, some people want Jesus to be a bellhop Jesus. You ring your little bell, and he comes running to you, and he serves you. That's what they wanted. Some people want a good old boy Jesus. You know, just one of the gang who kind of winks his eye at us when we do things that are outrageous because he understands he's one of us. Anything goes with the good old boy Jesus. Some of us want an Uncle Jesus. Fun, fun, fun with Uncle Jesus. My brother and I were growing up, we had an Uncle Clarence. And Uncle Clarence was a young fella back when we were growing up. And he was fun to be with. Oh, he was fun, fun, fun. He'd take us for a ride in his car. And he'd get that car up and go pretty fast. And then he'd drive that car with no hands. He had his knees, and he'd steer that car with his knees. And to my brother and I, man, that was fascinating. That was a big deal. Mom and dad never drove that fast. Mom and dad never drove with their knees. And then he'd make the car dance a little bit. It wasn't a Baptist car. <laughs> Baptists can't dance. It's a Pentecostal car. And he'd have that car doing the road like that. Now, nothing was coming, Matt, but you know, but... He'd have that car zigging in and out, in and out. Uncle Clarence was fun to be with. There was no discipline with Uncle Clarence. There was no no with Uncle Clarence. There was no parents there, and he never, we never told our parents. He was just all fun. That's what we want of Jesus. An Uncle Jesus where we just have fun, fun, fun until he takes the T-bird away. <laughs> That's why they rejected Jesus. He, they didn't want a Jesus in verse 66 that asked anything of them. The Bible says when all Jesus wanted to give them was spiritual they wiped their hands of him, turned their backs, and walked away. And many of them would never come back. You see, this Jesus who offered himself as the bread of life, he's too hard. He's too mean. He's too demanding. He's too challenging. He's too rigid. He's too narrow-minded. He doesn't want us to have any fun. He's a killjoy. He's a party pooper. We'll find us another Jesus. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, no thank you. 
Let us go find another Jesus. And by the way, that's what we're seeing today. We don't like this particular church because it's too demanding on us. Let's go find a church that asks nothing of us. We don't want this church because they preach the Bible. We want to go to a church that just makes us feel good. Never talks about anything moral or ethical or spiritual because that's uncomfortable with the way we want to live. Give us a pastor that's cool, who smokes cigars and drinks some wine with us. Who never says nothing about shacking up because that's what our generation wants to do. Don't give us any talk about how we have a commitment to serve, a commitment to give, a commitment to, to witness. We don't want that. We just want to come and drink our coffee and smoke our cigarettes and get out on time. We want to give our Savior a tip of the hat and tell Him thank you. And if we can't get it, we'll go find a place where we can get it. Because there's lots of places that'll sell you that kind of Jesus. People have never changed. They're always the same. And when Jesus said, I have nothing to offer you but the bread of life, they said, no, thank you. We don't want your bread. And they walked off from him. In verse 67 through 69, as we close the chapter, Peter has one of his shining moments. You know, Peter made a lot of mistakes. He put his foot in his mouth a lot of times. But Peter was a man whom God loved and could trust because Peter sometimes said some of the most profound things ever recorded in the Scriptures. And when everybody else is walking off from Jesus, they don't want the bread of life. Notice what Peter says. Lord, whom shall we go to? I don't know where they're going. I don't know that they know where they're going, Lord. But where are we going to go to? Where else can we go that we might find eternal life? And then in verse 69, Peter says, speaking of all the disciples, the apostles actually that were there, he says, we believe you. We believe that you are the bread of life sent by God to fill our souls. We believe that, and we are sure that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Boy, if that doesn't make chills go down your back, I don't know what will. Where did Peter learn that from? He learned it from God himself. That was revelation given to him by the Spirit of God that he knew who Jesus was. And he makes the declaration of his faithfulness. In closing, I don't watch a lot of TV, but there was a fear factor that came on some time ago. Maybe you saw it. And some of the contestants on this particular show were asked to take the challenge of eating a particular food. What the particular food was, was moldy cheese. 
I mean, cheese that's actually green and black. Now, if you think that's bad, that's not all. On that moldy, green, black Lindbergh cheese was living maggots. The kind you see on dead animals on the side of the road. Would you take the challenge? Well, two of them did. The rest of them said no. They backed away. They wouldn't do it. Wouldn't even try to do it. I can't imagine what that cheese looked like. I can't imagine what it smelled like. And certainly can't imagine what it would taste like. But only two took the challenge. Only two actually tried to consume it. Now, why do I tell you that? Am I a promotional man for survivors? Or the fear factor? No. It's interesting, though, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 20. The Bible talks about the manna that was given to the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. Remember that bread, the manna? The physical bread that fell from heaven to feed their physical bodies? Well, in Exodus 16, verse 20, it says that that bread, after it was a day old, began to become rank. It became nauseating. It became moldy. It became full of maggots. That's what it says. In other words, if you let it sit for more than a day, it was no good. And I think what that's trying to say to us tonight is that the physical food or the material food of this world is never going to satisfy us. And eventually you're going to find out that it's nauseating. Eventually you're going to find out it's moldy. Eventually you're going to find out it's full of maggots. If you try to eat the bread of this world to satisfy your inner spiritual person, you are going to be gravely disappointed. Because the things of this world cannot fill the soul of a man of another world. Only Jesus can. That's why I said to those that are hungry and thirsty, if you eat or drink of me, you will never die. You will be satisfied and you will be full forever. Have you eat of the bread of life? Or are you eating of the bread of this world? That's really the choice. Most of those in Jesus said, we don't want the bread of life. Give us the bread of this world. And they took it. And they perished. And they perished miserably, by the way. But to those like Peter who said, Lord, we believe we want the bread of life, and they eat of it. They're alive right now in heaven. Satisfied and full forever. Just as we can be. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.